Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. We're so glad you are here. Man, it is a packed house. Thank you for showing up, even if you knew it was Student Sunday. And you came anyway, that's especially meaningful to us. Um, If you're tuning in online, I know there's many of you, um, like my wife is home with sick kids right now. There may be many of you doing that or watching later in the week. But wherever and however you're listening to this, uh, we're glad you've tuned in and, and we think that God's got something for you and for all of us here today. So today is Student Sunday, which means, you know, we're highlighting some students in the service. They hopefully greeted you or at least held the door for you and were silent as you walked by. Probably happened a few times. Um. But we're so glad that we get to kind of showcase, man, we have a lot of students here serving, doing all kinds of things really well at our church. And as we prepared for this student Sunday, uh, Adam told me, he said, hey, every week, uh, every single year at Student Sunday, we don't have to preach a sermon encouraging the church to engage the next generation. We do it pretty well. We don't have to preach that every single time. And I said, okay, noted. But this time it's going to be that. I feel like that is what God has laid on my heart because I think it's kind of a different angle and something that will be, that will be good. Because here's the deal. Redeemer is a discipleship church. If you consider this church home, you know that to be true. That's why you come to church here because you desire to be a disciple and, and to be a, a better disciple tomorrow than you are today. But Jesus makes it clear that the call to being a disciple is a call to making disciples. That's what it is. A call to being a disciple isn't just knowing more, but it's making other disciples. That's what he said in the last thing he said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He said, now you guys need to go and make disciples. So if you sit here in this Redeemer Church and you desire to be a better disciple, it means you need to get better at making disciples. And that's what we're doing when we engage with our young people. Uh, John Maxwell says this about leaders, and um, if you're not sure if you're a leader in the room, let me tell you, you are, because um, there are fifth and sixth graders in our church, uh, sweet little girls that love on my third grader, Jovi. They are leaders to Jovi. So if you're in fifth and sixth grade in here, you are a leader. And then Jovi turns around and leads um, some of the pre-K and kindergartners, and I'm sorry to you families that she steals your kid as soon as you get here and runs off with them. I, I think she's being doing more good than harm in that, but... Um, High schoolers in the room are influencing the middle schoolers and adults are influencing everyone in between. So if you are sitting here in church and if you call Redeemer Church home, you're a leader that is called to make disciples. And so this is what John Maxwell says to us. The best leaders lead today with tomorrow in mind by making sure they invest in leaders who will carry their legacy forward. And I think that's so true, not just true of our legacy, but of Redeemer's legacy and of the kingdom of God, that they're going to carry that forward. The best leaders lead in such a way that we're thinking about that. Now, if we look, we can see examples all through scripture of the people of God intentionally passing the torch to the next leaders. So Moses was a very notably great leader of God's people, right? And he selected Joshua and began to invest in him because Moses knew some things. Moses knew he wasn't going to get to go into the promised land. Moses knew that his time of leadership was going to come to an end, so he chose Joshua. And Joshua did a great job. We actually see Joshua twenty four thirty one says, 
Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. So we know Joshua was a great leader of God's people, but Joshua failed to invest in his successor. He didn't ever choose who was going to come after him or invest in that person. And so him, him choosing not to do that ended in great trouble. And all through the book of Judges, it's the ramifications of Joshua not choosing a successor. Years later, even David would take over as king. And just like Moses, he faithfully leads God's people and he does well and he chooses his successor, his son Solomon. And he begins to invest in him and prepare him for leadership. I love that even David knows that Solomon is going to continue building the temple, that David himself will not get to complete it. So he gathers materials for Solomon to use. Think about that. David is gathering materials for a project that he knows that he himself will not complete. That's called thinking about legacy and passing the torch well. Well, after David's death, Solomon goes on to lead Israel during its most prosperous era, an incredible leader. But just like Joshua, Solomon did not look to the future by investing in his replacement. And after Solomon died, Israel split. And so you see, we see all through the Bible these dramatic differences in those that looked ahead to the future and those that didn't. And we see very serious consequences to the people, to the leaders that did not look ahead. And God's people continually have to deal with those consequences. So here's a deep thought that I have for you. Now, this is going to blow some of your minds, so you better get ready. Make sure your shoes and your socks are on tight, because this, this is big stuff right here. Whenever I learned this, changed my world. Some of you already know it's a joke, but stick with me here. The leaders of tomorrow's church are young people right now. Now listen, I didn't believe it, so I did some research, and this is what I found out. The leaders of everything tomorrow are young people right now. I had to see if the reverse is true, and I looked, and every leader of anything right now, of the church, or of nations, or of corporations, every leader today was at one time a teenager. That's wild. We just let these teenagers grow up to lead stuff? Are we crazy? No, that's just how time works, right? The leaders of everything in the future are young people today. And so we have to realize, friends, that we are passing the torch. It's not whether we want to or not. We are. And so how we do that is actively shaping the future of the church. The future church leaders are in, this, in our church. And how we treat them is actively shaping that future. A great example of a leader passing the torch well um, is the relationship in the Bible between Paul and Timothy. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Much of Paul and Timothy's story um, revolves around the church in Ephesus, which I think is cool because we just got through studying Ephesians for six weeks in a row, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus to encourage them. And so today we're going to re dig into 2 Timothy, which was a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy while Timothy was the pastor at the church in Ephesus. So it's kind of a similarity to what we just came out of. Second Timothy is part of what's in our Bible called the pastoral epistles. There's three of them, first and second Timothy and Titus. And these are three letters that Paul wrote directly to pastors, to individuals, to encourage them. So yes, of course we can learn from it. We can, you know, it was, it was written for our benefit. It's inspired word of God. But it's also important for us to remember that Paul did not write second Timothy to me or to you. He wrote it to Timothy. 
So we can, so rather than just saying, how do I take all of these words and apply them directly to what I'm doing? I think a better way to look at it for us this morning is to say, um, this was a, a man of God, a leader passing the torch well to somebody younger in leadership. And we get to kind of look in on this conversation, just one side of it, but we get to see how did Paul do this well? And how can that inform how I engage the leaders younger than me in the next generation? So that's what we're going to kind of peer into this relationship between Paul and Timothy through 2 Timothy. I think we're going to see some things, some ways that we should engage the next generation. So chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. But here's the first thing we learn is that we should celebrate the faith of the next generation. Following Paul's example, we should celebrate the faith of the next generation generation. Look at what it says in verse 5 to get us started. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Right? He says, I see your faith and it's strong and it's true and I know the history and I just want to commend you. I can see it's living in you and, and I'm happy about that. Listen, these days, we have a serious problem with a lot of our young people. And I know this doesn't happen inside of our walls, maybe as much as it does in culture. But culturally, most interactions that a young person has with an adult is them getting in trouble. A lot of them, the only individualized attention they get from their teachers is whenever they're in trouble. Sadly, a lot of the only individualized attention they get from their parents, for some people, none of you parents, but, but culturally... Most of the interactions young people have with adults are when they're getting in trouble. So they learn to avoid adults. They usually don't learn how to behave better. They learn how to hide it better, right? At least that's what I did. Um, we should celebrate their faith. Acknowledge whenever they do something right, we shouldn't be like, well, that's just what they should have done. No, the default for teenagers is to do the wrong thing. And for all young people, right? My son's four years old. He's always doing the wrong thing. The default's the wrong thing. We should celebrate whenever they do the right thing, even the littlest right thing. And that way, when we do have to correct them, because I'm not suggesting we don't correct them. I'm saying that we will have the equity to do so when we need to, if we have celebrated their faith. This is the first thing we see Paul, the second thing we see Paul do is, that we should do is, um, we should encourage the gifting of the next generation. We see Paul encouraging the gifting of Timothy and even encouraging him to grow up more. We should do the same thing. Look at what it says in the very next verse. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love, and self-discipline. He says, I remind you, I, I want you to fan into flame this ember of a gift that God's given you through the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is probably the most important, the most passionate I am about a point I will make today. Young people in the church do not have some Holy Spirit junior. They aren't given some my first Holy Spirit by play school that holds them over until they're ready for the real deal. If they're a believer, if they've accepted Jesus into the heart, if they've given their lives over to the lordship of him, they are gifted with the Holy Spirit, the same one that I have and the same one that you have with gifts for the church today. You hear me say all the time that they are not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today, and they're also the church of tomorrow. So let's invest in them in such and understand that we need to encourage their gifting. There is not an area of this church that young people should not be serving in. And they are in a lot of places, but I hope that we could be even more and more and more. They don't have some weird little version of the Holy Spirit that's, that's holding them over. They are gifted today for the church, and we are, we are a better church 
when the young people of our church are encouraged to use their gift and to fan those little embers into flames for the Lord. The next thing we see him do that we should do is we should include the next generation in our testimony. And this is on us that we should work. It's it's our work to do to include the next generation in our testimony. Look at what Paul does in the next verse. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel, but by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Look at, look at the, the words he uses there is us, right? It's this inclusive thing. Even though he's the leader, he's passing the torch to the younger person. He says he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. See, he's saying, like, join me in my suffering. Now, you may not be suffering for the gospel, and that's okay too, but Paul was here, and he's saying, hey, this is what I'm really experiencing, and Timothy, I'm inviting you into this part of my life. We say all the time as a church that we are a multi-generational church, and that's true. I can see um, lots of different age groups represented here, but we still have room to grow in not just being a multi-generational church, but an intergenerational church. Where we are sharing testimonies with one another, where you care about the eighth grade band kid who didn't, or, you know, who who has to do whatever. I don't know what band kids do anymore, but we have to care. And then we have to include them. You need young people to be able to see you go through trials because if you do so with your faith in the Lord intact, it strengthens their faith in the future. So not just kind of come along the side of them and not just kind of see them from far, but actually include them in your Testimony that whenever you are giving God glory for things down the road, you have to include the young people that were a part of your journey, the ones you met with, the ones you learned from, the ones that you equipped, the ones that you sent to camp. That they are a part of your testimony. We have to include include them in our testimony. And the last thing that we see um, Paul do that we're going to learn from today is we should pursue Jesus as an example to the next generation. We should pursue Jesus as an example that people can look to, to the next generation. We're going to finish in verse 13 and 14 of that same chapter. It says, Paul says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I love that he finishes there again with this inclusive language. He says, Timothy, what you heard from me, keep doing that. What you saw me do, follow that example. So I have maybe a challenge for you. Is, is are we setting a good example by how we go things, by how we, how we love, how we treat people, how we serve, how we include, how we look up and, and take time out of our day to interact with other people? If Maybe here's a, a more challenging way to put it. If you... If young people were to follow your example, exactly how you live for the Lord, would they look more like Jesus or would they look less like Jesus? Would they be making a bigger impact if they followed your example or would they not? Because Paul says, Timothy, what you saw me do, follow that example. Because here's the deal, when you've been following God for a long time, it's, I'm not going to say it's easy 
But it's easier to know what he wants you to do when you've been following for 40 years than it is when you've been following for 40 minutes. Right? It's pretty tough. And so what Paul here is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you're still just learning what it's like to follow God. I'm telling you, if you follow me, that will be following God. So I'm going to kind of be this earthly example with flesh and bones that you can follow until you get better at following God. And church, that's the privilege that we all get to be for those that are younger than us. We get to be examples to say, hey, you may not know what God wants from you, but if you do what I'm doing, you're going to be doing a pretty good job. But, but that's our challenge is to set that example. If young people are doing the same thing that you're doing, is that a good thing for their walk with Jesus? Now, a tough part about these four things I do want to point out is that we have to be in proximity to young people for them to work. You can't really do them from afar, right? Celebrating their faith, encouraging them face-to-face, encouraging them to use their gifts, including them in your story definitely takes proximity. And setting an example for them to follow, no matter how good your example is, if they don't see it, they can't follow it. But church, I'm encouraged because if, if we do, if we could celebrate them and their wins, allow them to use their gifts in our church, if we could include them in our story, each one of us and our corporate story, and if we could set examples that they could follow well, I'm telling you, friends, we just might be changing the world. Uh, my best friend growing up, his name was Clay Risley. It is Clay Risley. And, um, in first grade, whenever we, we met each other, and we made The Club, capital T, capital C, The Club. And everybody wanted to be a part of The Club, or so we thought. I don't know if that's true, but we like everybody. Like, we're the coolest. Everybody wants to be us. And so we went all through grade school and middle school especially, just best friends, always hung out, involved in each other's lives. Um, Clay's a great friend. Well, in middle school, he was going to church and I wasn't. And so Clay's mom, Sharon, would take me to church with him. So we'd get out of school, you know, on a Wednesday, and she'd say, hey, hop in, we're going to church. And so I'd do that for a while. But listen, I, don't, I still don't know what it is. I've been a youth pastor for 20 years, and there's something about young people that try to wiggle out of church. I don't know what it is. Um, the good ones do it, the bad ones do it, we all do it. And so um, after I started going for a while, then I told her, oh, I, I can't go. I have to run by the house first to, uh, to change my shirt or something. And so Sharon, Clay's mom, Sharon would say, well, uh, I'll run you by so you can change. And I'm like, okay, you got me there. I guess we can do that. So that's how I get a little bit better. I had a little trickier. I said, ooh, my mom says I have to go uh, empty the dishwasher before I go do anything else today. And so um, Sharon would be like, okay, well, go on home. I'll swing by an hour later and get you. And I'm like, man, Sharon's good. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't dodge this lady. Um, no matter how increasingly clever my excuses got, Sharon never let me, never let an excuse get in the way of me finding my way to church. She always worked on giving me a ride. And I don't know that she knew what that was going to mean in my life, but I think she knew that those little deposits were going to, going to make a difference in my life. A couple of weeks ago, uh, her son, her baby boy, Clay, my best friend in grade school, got married, and he asked me to do the wedding. And he didn't, uh, he didn't tell his family what, that I was doing it. It was kind of a small wedding. So his family just showed up, and they're like, hey, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm doing the wedding. Um, and it was really special. So I got to snap a picture with Sharon, Clay's mom, and me. Here's a picture of us together. Um, and, uh, and I was looking at this incredible woman who had very many excuses not to keep come pick me up. And she had no idea that this wannabe punk rock kind of skater middle school kid that needed a haircut and a shower, she had no reason to know that that kid was someday going to be performing the wedding of her baby boy. 
And she could have never guessed it, right? I was not the candidate to do it. But she knew she was making a difference. And I'm telling you, friends, as I was sitting up there with my cute little wedding notes, talking to my best friend from grade school, and just over his shoulder seeing his mother there, who is the very reason that I was standing where I was, well, it's a good thing it was a wedding because I was very emotional about the whole situation and it was appropriate for me to be that way. But Sharon didn't know what kind of difference she was making in the future. But God saw it fit to place her into my life. And I don't know, listen, I know I don't know everybody in this church super duper well, but if there's any of you that have, have ever been encouraged by me, maybe over a coffee or a lunch or you've heard me say something or if any young person has ever been encouraged in their faith in some way, um, Every bit of influence that I've ever had in a life, in my life, Sharon has a part in that. And and so I encourage you all with that, that there are lives that you have the opportunity to influence down the road by the impact you make today. None of you will ever meet Sharon, but many of you have been impacted by Sharon because of her, her impact on me. So I want to finish with one more story uh, from my life, mostly because I want to show off my fish tank. So about this time last year, my wife got me a fish tank for my birthday. I'm a big fish guy, not like a big fish person, but like I like fish in a tank in my house. And so, um, so we finally have the room. My wife got me this big, incredible fish tank. And so I wanted to bring you a picture, but I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a fish tank. It's just underwhelming, right? The bubbles don't move. The fish are just sitting there. So instead of a picture... I brought you a video of my fish tank. So here it is. Let me show you. We've had some computer problems. Hopefully, So that's my actual fish tank right there. And we're already festive. So you see they have a, a tree that says we fish you a Merry Christmas right there. Because uh, they're, they're in the mood just like the rest of us are in my house. Um, so these are my actual fish. The big white one right here is called Angelica. The black one over there is called Gil, like from Finding Nemo. And I actually asked Henry and Billy if they could put my little picture here. Um, I was like, I don't even know if it's possible, but I think it could be cool, especially those of you watching at home, so you don't have to just hear my voice. And then they did, and I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. So already I was like, I love my fish so much. Maybe I am a fish person, and if I want to be in this other corner over here, I can just kind of doggy paddle <laughs> right across the way, <laughs> right? Hi, this, one, this one's named John Cena right here. Hi, John Cena. I can kind of keep going for a second. Um, so, oh, that's Neil right there. I'm just going to cover, I'll cover Neil up. That's fine. He can, he'll, he'll come out later. Neil is our sucker fish. He was the first one in the tank. So, uh, so I'm already thinking about all the very, very dumb things we're going to do with this trick in the future in student ministry. Um, but for now, I did just want to give you a quick tour of my tank with this bubble. Um, every plant in this tank this year uh, for now is, is all real. So I've never had an all real tank. It's why they're kind of short. They're growing, but, uh, uh, the, the, the tank there, in the, the, the boat there in the middle is not real. But uh, anyway, I, I love my fish tank. I've been geeking out about it, adding all this stuff in. In the first six months, I was in there every single day messing with it. And I would go up and I would feed the fish once a day like you're supposed to. And I know they say fish don't have long memories, but I'm telling you, these fish would run up to the front of the, of the tank and start chomping at the water waiting for me to give them food, right? Any of you that have a fish tank have seen this happen. Well, then it got to be the summer, and we were going to be gone on camps and mission trips and all that kind of stuff. So I got one of those automatic feeders on the back of the tank. You can kind of see it right there above that, that little black thing. It's an automatic fish feeder, so people didn't have to worry about it, right? What I realized over the fall, and, and actually right now you can tell, the fish don't really care about me anymore. This was on a tripod. This was me holding my phone. So I am that close to my fish tank, and those fish don't care at all. 
They used to come up and now, and now they don't anymore. And I realized over the fall, well, the fish don't come to me for food. Any, they don't come to me anymore because I'm not giving them food anymore. They're not coming to me to get fed because I stopped doing the feeding. And so I, I want to I connect this dot. If anyone ever comes around and looks around a church, maybe our church, maybe any church in America, and they say, hey, where are all the young people? Where are they? My first question would be, well, did you stop feeding them? Did you stop feeding them? Because they would have no reason to come back if you stopped feeding them. And yes, listen, I want to be clear. The student ministry and the kids ministry of our church, we have a big part to play, right? We're going to continue to do programming and, um, and do things that engage the next generation. But I want to be clear. It's not up to us as a staff. It's up to us as a church as to what the next generation and how equipped they are. We got to keep feeding them and they're going to keep on coming back for food. I think about in John 21 where uh, Jesus tells Peter, uh, so he's, talk, he's talking to him and, and you know, Peter had denied Jesus and so he's saying, um, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, yes, of course I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he keeps on asking him. And then he says, yeah, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. He says, if you really love me, you will feed my sheep. I wonder as I look at that thing, I wonder if he was saying, not only feed my sheep because they need to be nourished and they need to grow up stronger. I wonder if he was also telling Peter, feed my sheep so that they will continue to come back to you for food. Because if Peter's going to be the rock that the church is built on, people need to get used to going to him for things. Jesus invited Peter to feed his sheep. I think that he's inviting us to feed his sheep. And I think we do that when we're face to face with them and we encourage them when we celebrate their faith, when we encourage their gifts, when we include them in our stories and our testimonies. And when we pursue Jesus in such a way that when they don't know what it's like to follow God, they can follow us. And that will be following God. Let me pray for us this morning, church. God, we first of all look to the many, many people that influenced us. God, I have a Sharon in my life. And everyone in this room probably has somebody in their life that they looked up to, that went out of their way for them, that included them and appointed them to you. So God, we thank you for those people in our lives. And God, right now we humbly realize that those of us that call this church home, that want to be disciples, are now called to do that for others, to make disciples, God. So we pray that you would show us the way, put the people in our paths that we should influence, remind us when we have room in our minivan for a couple more, uh, couple more kids, God, that we would get them in there uh, and bring them to church. Not because anybody gets a pat on the back for more humans in the church, but because some of those people are individuals like a little Wopsle that just need a little bit of belief in them. So God, we love you, we worship you, and we want to honor you with our time, and with the way that we pass the torch. Let us intentionally look to the future by investing the leaders that will be leading when they get there. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.